God, thank you for these people. Thank you for the way that you call us together week after week to respond in worship. Lord, we lift up our voices to you. We try to orient our hearts to you, and we need your help even to do that. So that's my prayer this morning. Help us to receive what you would have for us this morning. You know us better than we know ourselves, and I just ask that you would speak to us and that you would give us what we need to hear. In the name of your son, Jesus, I pray. Amen. All right, well, this morning, I want us to take a closer look at a passage from John's Gospel, the Gospel according to John. We're going to be in John 20 this morning, verses 19 through 29. You're welcome to flip there if you'd like. We have a few red Bibles out. You're always welcome to grab a red Bible, by the way. We'll have it on the screen as well. And what we're going to see here in just a moment when I read is Jesus is encountering his disciples just after he has risen from the tomb. They are hiding. They are hiding behind locked door, and they're going to have a visit from this risen Jesus. So go ahead and flip there, and I'm going to start. I'm just going to jump right in. We're going to hear these words this morning, starting in verse 19. When it was evening on that day, the first day of the week, and the doors of the house where the disciples had met were locked for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. After he said this, he showed them his hands and his side. Then the disciples rejoiced when they saw the Lord. Jesus said to them again, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, so I send you. When he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven them. If you retain the sins of any, they are retained. But Thomas, who was called the twin, one of the twelve, was not with them when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, we have seen the Lord. But he said to them, unless I see the mark of the nails in his hands and put my finger in the mark of the nails and my hand in his side, I will not believe. A week later, his disciples were again in the house, and Thomas was with them. Although the doors were shut, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. Then he said to, said to Thomas, Put your finger here and see my hands. Reach out your hand and put it in my side. Do not doubt, but believe. Thomas answered him, My Lord and my God. Jesus said to him, Have you believed because you have seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have come to believe. The word of the Lord. So we have today, I think, a very rich scene. It is layered with themes. I see here a theme of fear. I see a theme of doubt. I see a theme of mission. There's ascending happening. I see a theme of woundedness. I also see a theme of healing. I see eyes being opened. I see a veil being pulled back and lifted. And I see a theme that we'll just go ahead and call the mystery of the Holy Spirit. You might see some other themes in there as well. It's a very rich passage. And if I had to clarify in just succinct terms how this passage has been speaking to me the past few days, I would offer this. Jesus breathes peace right into the middle of fear, doubt, grief, and calls us to do the same. Jesus breathes peace right into the middle of fear, doubt, grief, and calls us to do the same. 
Let's take a little closer look and see if we can, can uh, dive a bit deeper into that idea. <clears throat> so right out of the gate, we see that the disciples are hiding. Now John, in John's gospel, he doesn't beat around the bush. At least in this translation, he tells us exactly why they are hiding. They are hiding from the Jewish leaders, the same ones that just killed Jesus. Right? The disciples are together. They are behind locked doors. I think I would be too. Frankly, use your imagination for just a moment and put yourself in the shoes of one of those disciples. You've just watched the one you believe to be the Messiah be beaten, stripped naked, hung on a cross, breathe his last breath, die, and be buried in a tomb. This is the one that you've spent the last three years of your life following. You left everything. You gave it all up to walk in the way of this Jesus. You believed he was the one that the prophets long foretold would save you. Right? You believe that he was the one that was to be this new king to usher in a new creation and a new kingdom. And apart from that, he was your friend. You ate meals with him. You probably had inside jokes. At least I like thinking about if the disciples might have had inside jokes. And just three days prior, you were with him. You were with him, and now he's gone at the hands of a particular group of people. The unthinkable has happened, and if I'm one of those disciples, I'm probably thinking, we're next. We're next. It makes sense to me why they would be hiding. Of course they are hiding. Wouldn't you be hiding as well? They are afraid for their lives. Fear, perhaps mixed in with some grief. Fear has taken hold, that spirit of fear. And I think most of us can relate to that when fear gets a grip in us and on us, right? It's just part of our human journey. Fear comes in. It happens. But watch what happens in the text. Jesus comes and stands among them and says, peace be with you. Peace be with you. I am here, he says. I am with you in the fear. And I've come so that you might also know peace in the midst of fear. Then Jesus does something that I find rather funny, and I think Jesus is always doing things that are rather funny. Um, verse 20, he shows them his wounds. Both hands pierced by nails, a side stabbed by a spear. Now I've often thought that maybe what Jesus is doing here is he's identifying himself. He's saying, look guys, it really is me. I have the scars, I have the wounds to prove it. Kind of like we might have a birthmark or a scar on our knee from where we fell off a bike as a kid. These things don't define us, but they can help identify us. Maybe that's what Jesus is doing here, proving that he really is who he says he is. Look, but I have to wonder if there's another message he's trying to communicate, one that goes more like this. Death doesn't win. Death doesn't win. My wounds are real, and they're not the end of the story. The pain I suffered was real and it's not the end of the story, death doesn't win. Whether Jesus is merely trying to identify himself as the one he says he is or communicate something much more, we see it in the text send a ripple of joy through that room of disciples. It says the disciples rejoiced. <clears throat> then Jesus carries on with another message. <clears throat> Verse 21, he says, as the Father has sent me, so I send you. And then he does another funny thing. I think it's funny. He breathes on them and gives them the Holy Spirit. 
I find it very interesting that at that moment, Jesus does not tell his disciples where he is sending them. He does not even really say what he's sending them to do, but if they were paying attention at all the last three years, they would know exactly what Jesus is sending them to do. It's the same thing that he sends us to do. Proclaim the kingdom of God, heal the sick, feed the hungry, take care of the poor, love one another. He's already given the Sermon on the Mount. Maybe he doesn't need to give it again. I don't know, however, how much more specific Jesus could be to his disciples and to us. But it's curious to me at that moment when he has their full attention, full attention, that he doesn't use it as a time to remind them about those commands and this call. He doesn't say where they're to go. He doesn't say what exactly they're going to be sent to do. But he does, however, I think, tell them how, how they are to go. Verse 23, if you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven them. If you retain the sins of any, they are retained. In other words, I am sending you out into this dark, dark world to show mercy, to forgive. Jesus doesn't send his disciples to judge the world. Even Jesus didn't come to judge the world. That's God's job. But Jesus does tell them how, how to go. And he gives them the only thing that they need to do that. Holy Spirit, take nothing for the journey. I breathe on you my spirit, source of all comfort, strength, encouragement, wisdom, conviction. He gives them what they need, and that is our story too. Do we believe it? Do we believe it? Jesus breathes peace right into the middle of fear, doubt, grief, and he calls us to do the same. Let's keep going because we have to talk about Thomas. All right, Thomas, poor guy, I think has gotten a real bad rap in our contemporary culture. What do we call people who are stubborn, skeptical, on the fence, not quite with it? Doubting Thomas, even if it's not a matter of faith. I don't think I've been called a doubting Thomas. Has anybody actually been called a doubting Thomas? Not so much, okay, we kind of, but we know what it means. It's not the kindest thing to say. And so we read this passage, I read this passage, and that's immediately where my brain goes. Yet, yeah, Thomas, you're just a doubter, you don't believe. And to some extent, I think that's a fair observation, right? He doesn't believe. He needs to see Jesus with his own eyes if he's going to get on board. I've been there. I've been there probably just this week. I've been there. We have these critical minds, and that's not necessarily a bad thing, especially in our increasingly gray world. We need to be able to think through things. But I wonder if what we see in Thomas isn't so much a stubborn heart, but a broken heart. Again, use your imagination. Put yourself in Thomas's shoes for a moment. For this band of disciples, Jesus was their hope. They left families, they left jobs, they left ways of living. They gave up everything to follow the one that they believed was the Messiah, the one who promised eternal life, the one who promised freedom, the one who was going to change things, promise something different. They put all their eggs in that basket, and it appears that the basket dropped and the eggs cracked. Is Thomas stubborn? I don't know. Is there a crack down the middle of his heart? Maybe. Maybe. Jesus breathes peace right into the middle of fear, doubt, grief, and calls us to do the same because once more, look at how Jesus shows up. A week goes by. I find that an interesting detail. Someone smarter than me can tell me why they think that's in there. But a week goes by 
and the disciples gather again. I have to wonder what the tenor of that room is, because now you've got some disciples who've seen, and you've got one who hasn't. I have to wonder what's happening in that room. But Jesus appears to Thomas, and notice how Thomas does not need to ask Jesus to show him his wounds. Jesus just knows because that's who God is. He knows what we need. He knows our desires. And so Jesus says to Thomas, come real close. Come real close, put your hand here. And this, I think, is one of the most intimate encounters that Jesus has with one of his followers. Touch my wounds, Jesus says. Think about that for a second. What intimacy. Touch my wounds. And again, perhaps what Jesus is doing here is he's just identifying himself. See, it really is me. I've got the the marks to prove it. Or perhaps what Jesus is saying is, Thomas, death doesn't win. Death isn't the end of my story, Thomas, and now it isn't for you either. The dead will rise. The broken will be healed. Life will come back to you, Thomas. The story isn't over. You won't be here forever. It's such an intimate encounter. Thomas literally touches Jesus' wounds, and in turn, Jesus touches his. Jesus touches his. And then, of course, we see Thomas' response. He, too, has that ripple of joy that just permeates his entire being, causing him to shout, my Lord and my God. And see, this is the thing. If we have a real and authentic encounter with the living God, we do not have to feign emotion. We don't have to muster up a response. It pours out of us because we know something has changed. We aren't who we once were. We're not where we were before. The things aren't quite the way they used to be. It might still not be perfect, and our suffering doesn't magically disappear, but something in us changes. That's just what an encounter with the living God does. That's who our God is. And then finally, Jesus has a word for us. Verse 29, he says, Blessed are those who have not seen me and have yet come to believe. And that, my friends, is us, the sinners slash saints who have walked this road and all of those who have walked this road before us for the last 2,000 years. Blessed are we who believe without seeing. We don't get to have a flesh and bone encounter with Jesus, but we do have that Holy Spirit burning in us, and sometimes the flame is dim, and sometimes it's brighter than what makes sense considering our circumstances. It's all a bit odd. It's a whole lot of mystery, and I think that's our faith. That is our faith, living in the story that we hope is true and trusting that there are things that we cannot see or understand, but that doesn't make them anything less real. Faith. Jesus breathes peace right into the middle of fear, doubt, grief, and calls us to do the same. We are his hands and feet now, the body of Christ. So by way of wrapping up, let me just ask a few reflective questions for us to consider together as we move into our weeks. Where has fear gotten its slimy little hands into your life? Where has fear gotten its way in? And let me just say, we know this, I don't have to say it, fear is just permeating our world right now. There are so many things we are being told, be afraid, be afraid, be afraid of that person who doesn't think like you, be afraid of that virus, be afraid of the inflation, be afraid, be afraid, be afraid. So if you're experiencing fear, you're human, it's okay. But consider that, where has fear gotten its way in? Is there something that you're having a hard time believing? Something that maybe is true about yourself, 
something true about someone else? Or is there a grief that just doesn't seem to want to wrangle its way loose? We can get honest with ourselves and in community with one another and before God about those parts of our lives because it's not the end of the story. It just isn't. It's not the end of the story. It's not the whole story. It wasn't for those disciples, and it's not for us either. So let me just say you're not alone. Allow Jesus to meet you right in the middle of it as he does which is with his peace, which really does surpass understanding. Let me pray for us. God of peace, we need your help even to believe that peace is possible sometimes. There are so many things in our world that would get in the way and distract us from the truth of your goodness that you really do want to bring peace in our lives and in this entire world. Lord, help us to trust that, to sink deeper into that reality, to believe it. Lord, I ask that you would also just help us to get real honest with ourselves. Fear, doubt, grief, these are normal parts of human life. You know this, and you don't look away from us, and nor should we. So help us to continue to look at you, look at one another, and move freely, trusting that the story isn't finished. Death doesn't win. It didn't win for Jesus doesn't overcome, doesn't take us. Lord, help us to live like that is true. Help us to live every day like that is true, trusting and believing that we have this spirit, this mysterious thing in us, guiding us every step of the way. It's in the resurrected name of your son Jesus, I pray. Amen. Amen. All right. We're going to move now to a time of adoration and confession. And so I invite you to stand with me. and speak these words aloud. Almighty God, thank you for this community you've given us to be part of. For every heart, every gift, every last one among us. Thank you that your love shines through human faces, in the sound of an encouraging word, in the eyes of the stranger, in the beauty of the natural world. Forgive us when the thirst of this life distract us from life together with you. Forgive us when over self-interest keeps us from loving our neighbor. Forgive us when we seek to be our own gods and free us from the need to fix, control, or have our own ways. Teach us to walk in the little way of Jesus, discerning your will every moment of our days. Strengthen our belief in your resurrection power. Renew our lives with your love, restoring us to wholeness again. May your name be praised today and for all days. Amen. Amen. Well, we're going to move now to a time of communion. So as the music plays, invite you to come forward a few at a time. Take the bread, take the juice, back to your seat and we'll participate in the Lord's Supper together. If you choose to just use this as a time of quiet reflection in your seat, you're welcome to do that as well.
On the night that he was betrayed, Jesus took bread, and after giving thanks, he broke it, and he handed it to his disciples, saying, this is my body, broken for you, eat to remember me. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup, and once he'd given thanks, he said, this cup that is poured out for you is a new covenant in my blood, drink to remember me. Each time we take the bread and take the cup, we proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Amen.